Hello there and welcome to another edition of the Cambridge Film Show, broadcasting here on Cambridge 105 Radio across the city and South Cambridgeshire. And today is an extra special day for all cinephiles, as it is National Cinema Day. So once you've listened to our erudite critics' opinions, take yourself to the cinema where all tickets for all films in all formats are only £3 each. Autumn is creeping into the air and we have two hosts, three reviewers and seven films to cover this week, from Dizzy Heights to Genies to Unsung Superheroes and even Alpha Predators. I'm Emma Marchant, sharing the hosting duties this week with Yossi Osman. And with us today are Stuart Pask. Hello. Matt Taylor. Hi, happy to be here. And Simon West. Hello. We'll be looking at John Michael McDonough's morality drama set in Morocco, The Forgiven, casting our eyes over a fresh take on gothic horror in The Invitation, and checking in with Sly Stallone's tortured superhero Samaritan. Also, a biting look at the film industry and awards season in Spanish satirical farce official competition. Idris Elba takes on the king of the jungle in Beast, and high concept and literally extremely high thrills and spills in fall. But before all of that, it's Idris Elba's first appearance this week, and this time he's making dreams come true. My name is Alethea. My story is true. I am a solitary creature by nature. I have no children, no siblings, no parents. I did once have a husband. If there is fate, who can say? But in the Grand Bazaar of Istanbul, I chose a memento. I like it. Whatever it is, I'm sure it has an interesting story. Fabulous introduction. Our first film in this jam-packed edition of the Cambridge Film Show is not only our first film of the show, but as Emma has mentioned, it is our first film to feature Idris Elba, in a lead role, more to come later. So, Mad Max filmmaker George Miller's 3,000 Years of Longing is an Arabian Nights-esque fantasy film adapted from the 1994 short story The Djinn in the Nightingale's Eye by A.S. Byatt. Tilda Swinton stars as Dr. Alithia Binney, an academic who encounters Idris Elba's djinn, who offers three wishes in exchange for his freedom. Doubtful that the djinn is real, and wary of wishes from tales of old, Alithia accuses the djinn of falsehood, but in response, the djinn will tell her three stories from the past to convince her. Stuart, I'm coming to you first because you were quite intrigued by this film. That's what you said. And then in our little WhatsApp group yesterday, you responded saying, this film was interesting. What did you mean? <laughs> what did I mean? Um, well, certainly it's taken me out of my comfort zone. It's not something I would normally go and see, but as one of the great things of being a, a contributor on the Cambridge Film Show is it encourages me to go out and uh, see new and different things. Um, so I knew it was by George Miller, who perhaps most recently has done Mad Max Fury Road and, of course, has done other Mad Max films, but I tried to stop rationalising this film based on his career from there, bearing in mind that other films he's done include Babe, Babe Pig in the City, Happy Feet 1 and 2. Um, Excellent so, yeah, films. All good films. But nothing like this, nothing like Mad Max Fury Road. It, 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 this film is is so different. It is, it's an anthology of love stories. It's not a sort of traditional genie film, if, say, if you can say such a thing. It has, some reviewers say it's Aladdin for adults, but it's, 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 
certainly for adults just because of the the content in the films but it, it has no similarities apart from having perhaps a genie in it to say aladdin either the good one or the very bad one um but it is it is so different it, and it is it isn't a, a traditional like you know adventure story with a genie in it it is someone trying to rationalize the process of asking for things that would normally be out of reach and this person is so nailed down in their reality and their own status quo they can't even begin to fathom how they might request these unbelievable requests and then when they do they sort of regret it right okay um you you mentioned something that I'm going to come to Simon about because I know Simon is a you, you liked this film and um, uh, Stuart mentioned something Aladdin for adults that's quite a big selling point that I have seen in the reviews I've not seen the film um, what I want to ask you is as a fan of the film how does Miller manage to balance the kind of imaginative fairy tale aspect with the kind of mature themes that you would expect from a film of this nature. One of the things I really loved about this film was that it does seem to be a fantasy film for adults. Um, I know there's plenty of love and romance and everything that goes along with that throughout this film. Um, Idris Elba is absolutely fantastic as the genie, really giving a lot of gravitas to somebody who's been there for 3,000 years. You believe he's been trapped in a bottle. He has his most wonderful voice, of course. So for his storytelling to going what's going on with the fantastical um, stories that he tells you. Uh, on the other hand, of course, compared to Tilda Swinton, who's playing the real down-to-earth, northern, cuts out any of that fantasy. It's like... I love, you know, she's all about stories. That's what she is. She's an autologist. She knows the stories, but she's down to earth, not quite dowdy, but really settled on her own and it's not looking for romance. Um, this film, it reminded me of some of the best works of Terry Gilliam. Um, Neil Gaiman, especially, if you're a big fan of Sandman, it's got that Sandman story vibe to it, which is, of course, very popular at the moment. Um... I mean, it's all about telling stories and mythology as well as love, and it's all intertwined with most, some of the most amazingly set and beautiful production design, fantasy, historical fantasy, uh, you know, locations and, and tales. Um, went, I was absolutely swept up in it from, from the beginning. It was everything you see. You don't see enough of these in the cinema. I can't remember the last time I've seen a film like this, especially since all the Marvel films came out and you get a superhero fantasy and people think that's what fantasy is now, where this is more like, no, this is a standalone, just fantastical. Um, yeah, it's wonderful. Matt, I'll, I'll come to you next because there's a couple of things that Simon said there that I'm quite interested in. So a lot of this is about the, the storytelling. The gin is telling a couple of stories. Um, and does that not give it a bit too much of a fragmented approach? Do you still get involved with the whole narrative? What, what's your take on this? I would say that because the initial framing device is Tilda Swinton's character telling a story about the story she's heard from the djinn, that does kind of, for me, link everything together in terms of each story that the djinn tells is going to link together in this overarching story in terms of the way she feels about herself and her ideas about love and desire. 
something I did want to talk about was just how funny this film was. I really did find myself laughing a lot just at... It's not a comedy by any stretch, but the interactions between Tilda Swinton and Indris Elba and their line delivery and chemistry with each other I thought was absolutely fantastic and really did have me uh, cackling in my seats uh, at moments. But yeah, I really liked it. It was It was great. It's really refreshing to go in and see a film where you're not really sure where it's going. Uh, as someone who watches a lot of movies, that is a very nice experience. And, and just quickly, before before we close on this, um, Simon, you were li- talking a little bit about the kind of fairy tale aspect of it. Um, if you're going into this film expecting a fairy tale, will you get the kind of traditional things you would expect from a fairy tale, or is this something a bit different? Um, it depends what you expect from a fairy tale. I mean, there is magic. There are creatures, to, you know, people turning into creatures, into spiders, into different things. Every so often, they're just throwing a little bit of magic, a magical realism, and things like that, which just gives it a spark. Whereas, you know, rather than being all-out fantasy, CG can do everything. It's just, it's just beautiful. It's just little touches in the background and everything. Yeah, I'd agree entirely. It's, it's a very, very beautifully shot film, and it's, a lot of it is CGI and 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 a mixture of limited CGI and on-location filming. But I think perhaps where it does have a familiarity to something like the Mad Max films which apart from that it has no similarities to whatsoever is the shots and the colour and the palettes they use are all very pretty and beautiful and they really lend a tone to these stories that are being told well I think we've got some fans of the film here so that might be a recommendation 3000 Years of Longing is showing at all three Cambridge cinemas and it is the certificate 15 Emma, what's next? (laughs) Thank you, Yossi. Well, sticking with new cinema releases, how about we take a journey 2,000 feet up a radio tower into the air? (laughs) A horrible thing happened to you. I just want you to be able to move on with your life. Come here. It's coming up on a year. I have something that's planned, and I need a partner in crime. The B-67 TV tower. I haven't climbed since... Becky! If you don't confront your fears, you are always going to be afraid. Trailer for Fall, the highest of high-concept thrillers, a claustrophobic, vertigo-inducing two-hander following best friends and climbers Becky, Grace Caroline Curry and Hunter Virginia Gardner. A year after a climbing accident has claimed the life of Becky's husband, her friend Hunter feels it's time for Becky to move on from mourning and to start to live again. And how best to do this? Well, of course, scale a decommissioned radio tower and scatter his ashes while filming it for the old social meets. (laughs) Yossi's shaking her head. I haven't seen this, I'm going to say this, but Yossi has come in. Now, Yossi, you were the first to throw this into the mix this week. You went to the preview and you've come in all guns blazing and said, this is your film of the week. And I stand by that. Right, if you're going to watch this film, if you're scared of heights, Simon, don't watch this film. Don't watch it, because if if you're scared of heights, it will just... It will, it will, it will maximise on that. But as a film, I thoroughly, thoroughly enjoyed it. This for me was experiential cinema. This was something where I went into it. I, I was gripping the edge of my seat throughout. I had clammy hands. I was scared. I was, I was gasping. I was honestly, it was just brilliant for me. Um, 
And I, I've not had an experience like that in a cinema for a while. And we can blame COVID for that and whatever, but this this was just enjoyable. And it is absurd. It's ridiculous. I'm sure, you know, Matt, you've seen it. You, you will agree with me. It's absolutely ridiculous. Oh, yeah, it's completely mm. insane. Yeah, none of it is plausible. However, if you accept that none of it is plausible when you watch it, you're going to be in for a really, really good time. Well, Matt, you, a film such as this is, is kind of by its very nature maybe an extension of those gasp-inducing Instagram videos that you watch where you can't quite believe that people have gone up there, combined maybe, let's say, with some Mission Impossible-style stunts when you have Tom Cruise, or even I keep looking at the poster and thinking of um, Cliffhanger with Sylvester Stallone. But did it manage to make you care about the story and the characters, or is it just gasp-inducing wizardry? Yeah, absolutely. I, I would say, for me, there's two ways that I enjoy films. One is when I'm genuinely invested in the characters and care what happens to them. And the other is where I just want to mock it and sort of take the mickey out of silly decision-making. And this was one of those rare films where I was really doing both. Uh, it really won me over straight away with the reference to Mission Impossible 2 with uh, Virginia Gardner free-climbing up some quite dodgily CGI'd mountain cliffside. Uh, the CGI does get better, luckily. But, yeah, I was fully invested in the characters all the way through, whilst also laughing and making snide comments about why exactly are you trying to process the death of your husband by climbing a giant radio tower in the desert? Why are they climbing it at all? It, it, like, it doesn't make any sense, but it's it's so good. Sorry. Yeah, it was, it was great. I, I had a really fun time watching it. I thought the soundtrack was excellent. There's this little sort of triumphant, almost montage music that plays whenever they're about to put into action their latest scheme for getting down from the tower, which I, I thought was really nice. And You were talking, when you were reviewing 3,000 Years, you were saying how you enjoyed the fact that you didn't know where that was going to take you. Is that the same with Fall? Is it, Or is it, are you ever, are there surprises to be had? There are, actually. There is a few sort of twists and turns. Some are signposted so clearly you could see them coming a mile off. Some are a little bit more subtle, but actually are still quite well foreshadowed once you sort of reflect on it and see how it was indicated. So, yeah, I think it's not necessarily entirely predictable what's going to happen when they make it up there. Simon, please, I, I think you should chime in because we all know you did. You walked out, I think, after 30 minutes. I, I saw please tell us why. I saw half an hour of this. Um, I saw Free Solo in IMAX a while ago and I remember seeing Aeronauts in IMAX and both of those films did make me feel very queasy. I'm and so pleased you mentioned Free Solo because I was going to say, how does this... Because my husband had the most massive I man mean, crush I after Free I, Solo. Found Free Solo very, very difficult, only knowing it was a documentary about Alex uh, Freehold. Um, well, knowing then he survives. I knowing suppose. he survives makes it, makes it easier. But watching this, knowing things are going to go wrong, um, to be honest, I lasted half an hour. It's the first film I've walked out of in 30 years because the tension, the stress, just in the first half hour on the CG, or on, on the climbing at the tower, if you do... If you are scared of heights and things like that, so effectively, it you is walk, effective. You walked out for the right reasons, we could say. Yeah, it's not because it's a bad film, not so, you know, criticising quality. Yeah. It is effective yes, and it's lovely. scary. Well, I, I was about to say what you just said. The fact that Simon walked out of it kind of meant that the film did its job it, no, in I, I terms totally agree. of... It, it was working. I'm not saying it's a bad film, but it is so effective, you know, occasionally with the, you know, the vertigo and everything else. 
I had to call it quits. Uh, yes, can I Matt. just? Oh, sorry. oh sorry. sorry. No, go. Just uh, you mentioned Free Solo just then, and and that this did remind me a lot of Free Solo. The character of Hunter, played by Virginia Gardner, is one of the biggest cinematic liabilities I remember seeing in a film. And it did make me think of Free Solo because there's a part of Free Solo where they're talking about a brain scan of Alex Honnold, who's the climber. And the part of his brain that processes risk is underdeveloped. He literally can't process the risk in the same way as sort of more typical people. And Hunter is very much that that way. It's like, oh, what's the reward of climbing this radio tower? And very both, small. And both Virginia Gardner and Grace Caroline Curry, because I haven't heard of either of these actresses. I haven't heard of the director, Scott Mann. But would you say, I mean, are they are they climbers as well as actors, these guys? I don't think so, no. There were, there were stunt doubles credited in the credits. But I, I, you could you could believe it. But but one thing I do want to say, the vast majority of this film are these two actors on top of a tower and like that that is it that is what you see and for me it was still gripping it was still engaging as i said it is ridiculous like there are some moments where i i did laugh because i was like this can't be happening. However, as a standalone cinema experience and if you're not scared of heights, um, this is something to watch. This is enjoyable. I, yeah, and I think, like I said, we described it as high concepts. And in some ways, it's a throwback. And, you know, for me, growing up in the and, and going, coming of age in the 90s, let's say, you know, the cinema was packed full of these kind of, you know, incredibly high concept, short, snappy films. So maybe it, 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 we don't see so many of them anymore. And I, mean, I think that's... You, films you know, like, you know, Open Water or 127 Hours, Sober, which, yeah. or, yeah. you know, even Vopers or Buried, where you do get yeah. the couple of actors in a really tense situation make great cinema yeah. and that's why I wanted to watch this but maybe try at home Simon when you're seeing thank you for trying Simon <laughs> well one more film I'll throw in there while we're making comparisons is Adrift and I don't want to say too much about why that is a comparison but uh, once you've seen them both you'll understand Thank you very much, Matt. I like Leave It on a Cliffhanger. Um, well, Fall is a certificate 15 and is showing at the light and the view. And if you're not scared of heights, I recommend that we, we, we say you rush along to it. These are some... We're really starting off this week, Yossi, with some great reviews. Over to you. Yeah, I feel like you've set me up to fail here with the next film that we're about to talk about. How? But next up, it is time to get fearful for a different reason with The Invitation. It was always just my mom and me to have a family. That's what I really want. No way. I got a cousin. That is the whitest man I've ever seen. He wants to meet up. Oliver? Cousin Avery. <laughs> it sounds so Jane Austen when you say it like that. <laughs> you know, my mom always wanted to take me to England to learn about our family history. There's a wedding coming up, actually. You should come. I would love to, but oh, I... Come on, everyone is dying to meet you. I... Wow, it's incredible. I believe this is one of our important guests. Evie, this is a close friend of the family, Walter DeVille. Uh, hi. Hi. Looking forward to getting to know you better, Evie. Jessica M. Thompson's The Invitation is an American supernatural horror starring Game of Thrones' Natalie Emmanuel as Evie, a struggling artist who discovers a long-lost cousin after taking a DNA test upon the death of her mother. Invited to a wedding in the English countryside that appears too good to be true, she finds herself uncovering dark family secrets and fighting for survival. Um, 
Simon, I'll come to you first. This kind of creepy English family countryside horror, it seems a little bit familiar. Um, does Johnson add anything new or is it all a bit too cliché? Um, I think it is new because there's something I've not actually seen before. I think she's managed to create an entire new genre of film, which I'm calling Hallmark Horror. This seems to be a Hallmark film um, where a, a penniless... A bartender in America suddenly discovers that she's part of a rich family, gets transferred over to the United, you know, United Kingdom, where she falls in love with the Lord of the Manor and have a nice relationship, and then things start turning bad. Um, it reminded me of the Hallmark film, because I think most of the script and the quality and the acting was about the level you get on a uh, made-for-TV Hallmark film. You know, the kind of thing you get at Christmas. Um the horror aspect of it, somebody has written Dracula or the cliff notes of Dracula and then got the sixth former to come in and just put references left, right and centre. Um, I got excited when they mentioned Whitby and then they go to a castle, a manor, which is nowhere near Whitby, not even in Yorkshire and I even doubt it's in the UK, the location is so bad, but they keep name dropping everything. Um, basic jump scares... I was hoping that when the twist came, they were going to do something and pull something special like Audition, um, where you get a run-of-a-mill drama film and then have so much gore and violence at the end to make it actually worthwhile. But in the end, an, an episode of Buffy the Vampire Slayer has more bite. It was bloodless, lame. Um, it, it, it's hard to think of a film so poor that I've seen um, it's a shame, I love Natalie Emmanuel um, in Game of Thrones she was fantastic and is completely wasted here but you know you've got Thomas Doherty looks like he's come from um, um, Love Island or something as a main lord and it's just nothing else in this film works really selling it here um, Matt I will come to you next so um, I mean are you a fan of the horror genre? Is this your kind of thing that you normally watch? And if so, how does this how does this fare? I, I wouldn't even necessarily call this a horror film. It really confused me in terms of who is this for? I mean, if you want the supernatural romance of Twilight, you're going to be disappointed by the violence. If you want the lifestyle porn of Fifty Shades of Grey, you're going to be disappointed by the horror. If you want the horror, you're going to be disappointed by all the romance stuff. And if you want action, it's just not very good. There were things I enjoyed about it. As soon as I realised that it was terrible and I could just look for things to laugh at, I started to enjoy it more. Thomas Doherty, I thought, was actually quite good in a terrible way. He sort of looks like a cross between Harry Styles and a shark and turns up with about half his buttons done up and delivers all his lines with this sort of bored sigh oh it's so hard being english and rich oh i just need a nice american girl to take me away from it all and you just think okay this is this is terrible but there are things to laugh at and enjoy but who is it for i it, don't it's, really know it's a horror film for people who don't like horror is the only the only thing i can make sense you know you it's like ooh, i think i'm going to try a little bit naughty tonight and put a horror film on but i don't like anything scary so they they sort of tried they've clearly watched a lot of better movies like Get Out yes. and there's some very awkward sort of um racial politics in there with 
Well, I was just going to ask, because I think there are touches in this film of that kind of social aspect, touching on areas such as class, race, privilege, but is there enough of that to give it the kind of gravitas of something like Get Out, which is, in my opinion, a very good film? Short answer, no. It feels very surface level and shoehorned in, sort of bantering about how they should never date a white man because you can't trust them, sort of that sort of level. Right, and um, uh, Simon, you've already you've already talked about this, but um, it does have Natalie Emmanuel, who it has to do quite a lot in in her her leading role. Is she the saving grace of this film, if there can be one? I'm not sure she can be. I mean, she looks like a nice person. Um, she's the kind of person you want to spend a bit more time. They set up a sequel. I don't think anybody's going to want to see the sequel, so no danger of that. Um, I can't fault her. I can't play lay any blame on her you know she was fine with what she was given but what she was given isn't good she does get to deliver a fantastic this is sparta kick at the very end which was (laughs) another thing i enjoyed well if that's piqued your interest then um the invitation is showing at the view and light cinemas it is a certificate 15 cambridge 105 radio on Cambridge 105 Radio, Gadget Guide gives you a download on the world of tech. Rob Chifferfield and Lawrence Michalif take you through streaming TV services, the latest releases from Apple and Google, and everything you need to get the best out of working from home. Digital assistants are helping us to do more in our homes. Does your light bulb respond to voice commands yet? Cambridge technology company Raspberry Pi have some news. Gadget Guide, Monday at 6, online and on Cambridge 105 Radio. Are you suffering from buffering? Find yourself screaming, not streaming? Or do you just lag behind? Then it's time to demand better broadband. City Fibre is building a brand new full fibre network across the UK, giving you access to broadband from a range of providers that's more reliable and up to 20 times faster than average. So you can stream, game and video call without interruption. Get connected to full fibre today. Choose your provider at cityfibre.com slash Cambridge 105. CKLG Accountants are a friendly team of accountants and tax advisors with big firm expertise. I'm Lawrence, Director of CKLG, responsible for business services. We understand that running a successful business brings many challenges. Our experienced business services team provide a bespoke service and offer professional advice at every stage of your business journey, allowing you the freedom to focus more on what you do best. To find out more, call us on Cambridge 810100 to arrange an initial chat with one of our specialists or visit our website cklg.co.uk cklg accountants your partner in business your partner in life cambridge 105 radio well it's time now to check in with our streaming release of the week Uh, wait up wait up what do you do with all this junk Keep me busy. Another long night of crime and violence. Some say it's only a matter of time before the city implodes. I think we're finished here. 105 Radio, it's the Cambridge Film Show, and here we are with Stuart Pask, Yossi Osman, Simon West, and Matt Taylor, and myself, Emma Marchant, on National Cinema Day. And that 
was the trailer for Samaritan, brand new to Amazon Prime. So, taking time out from a raft of franchises that I believe are coming out and a messy dog-related divorce, if you believe the hype, please check that out because it's well worth it. Sylvester Stallone is back on our screens in Julius Avery's delayed follow-up to Overlord, Samaritan. We are in Granite City where crime rules the streets. If only Samaritan, the superhero from Days of Yore, was around to save us. Wait! Could Joe, the reclusive bin man living next to adorable feisty hard-knuckle moppet Sam, be the superhero? Could he? Could he, Simon? He could be a superhero. Um, I know they were trying to do a new thing, a new take on superhero films for this. Um, But in the end, what they managed to do is actually recreate the 90s action film quite well. Um, You get scenes of like Robocop 2 where you get the plucky young kid living in a downtrodden city like 80s Detroit or something um, constantly getting beaten up, surviving on the seat, mixing with drug dealers you've seen it before if you've seen many many 80s and 90s heroes um, and then you've got Stallone coming in to be able to extract lots of violence on the bad guys um, while being in a morally grey area um, for that, I quite enjoyed some of it. Um, be honest, superhero films and films in, society, in general and society have moved on a long way in 20 years, which just makes this feel dated and out of place. Um, but I can see where they were coming from, and I think they achieved is what they going, what they were trying to do. And there were definitely things I did enjoy, if you like I said, enjoy those films. A fairly solid lead in there from Simon. Right, I won't lie, I think I threw this out as our stream because we had a couple of streamers we could have chosen. someone. I think I threw this out there because I was quite interested in the cast. Not just Sylvester Stallone, but labelled in there is Martin Starr, one of my absolute favourites. Dasha Polanco from Orange is the New Black is in there. Pilo Auschbeck, another Game of Thrones alumni. Obviously, you're in Greyjoy from the go and, 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 you know, a very fine Danish actor. Um... So I thought, this looks really interesting. I, I was to be disappointed. But Yossi, what would you say? Do you think any, you know, do, is, is it, does it use that quite eccentrically interesting supporting cast? Not enough. Um, I have been quite honest that um, I didn't really enjoy this film just because, in my opinion, it was all about Sylvester Stallone, not the supporting cast. I think... Um, Javon Walton, who plays Sam, the, the 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 child in it, did a really really great job, especially when that kind of character could be incredibly irritating. Um, but he wasn't; he was really endearing, and I and you know, he is the centre of the film. But I couldn't help but feel that this whole film was just Sylvester Stallone doing his expendable thing, you know, and and, and that took it away from me. It just was to me. It was just. Pointless. I'm so sorry. <laughs> no, I must admit that I, I think when we came in, I was talking about it and I said that, that the you know, Pilosh Auspex baddie seems to be wearing a knockoff costume, a knockoff Halloween costume that was last seen on Bane in Batman. And Sylvester Stallone seems to just be wearing his um, Rocky training hoodies and beanies. So it, it was a weird mashup for me. And also, Matt, I couldn't help but think about Young Adam, obviously another Netflix streamer that came with another kind of superhero with the young child sort of relationship. This is different, darker, but 
when we reviewed Young Adam, we moaned a lot about the fact that the budget didn't really seem to be put into the action. Maybe the budget for these streamers is 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 is, is given to the cast, perhaps. Would you say that's a fault? I mean, I, I haven't seen Overlord. Have you seen Julius Avery's Overlord? I have seen Overlord, and I actually really enjoyed it. I thought it was a really fun sort of pulpy World War Two adventure with some good violence, and there wasn't really much of interest to see in Samaritan. I I thought, oh, this is kind of an interesting name because Samaritans aren't necessarily good people. It's the good Samaritan who's who's good. So I thought, well, maybe there's something interesting here. There, there isn't really. They, they've just chosen the name Samaritan because it's associated with the word good. I also had a problem with the lack of threat in terms of it's never really clearly defined what, Sylvester Stallone is capable of so you think oh he's going to be punched is that a problem he's going to be run over by a car is that a problem he's going to be shot is that a problem he's going to be hit by a big hammer is that a problem a hammer that's forged by pure hatred whatever that means it just doesn't make much sense I'd also when I become king of cinema I'm going to ban opening narrations from being used to start <laughs> films just just cut it I'm just laughing about the hammer forged from pure hatred because, like I said, I laughed out loud when that came. It looked like something I got from underneath my sink. I was like, really, people? Surely we could make a better-looking hammer than it this. It was so lazy, though. The whole plot was so, so lazy. And, I mean, there, there was so much that I wanted to like about it. But I think I'm with Matt here. There was just... It, it just felt so pointless. It just felt so silly. And... um as, as, you know, we have been spoilt with superhero films recently. You know, we've got Marvel, we've got to some extent DC, and this, I mean, what? What is the point of it? Um, right. Sorry, I, I have a question. So I, I haven't seen this one, but I did get the, the pleasure of cutting together with the trailers and everything. And I thought to me, how did, I, how did I miss this? It's a superhero film. It should have been right up my alley. And so it's quite interesting we're talking about this as a streamer on, uh, on the National Cinema Day. Is there a good reason that it didn't end up in cinemas, do we think? I mean, it's Amazon Prime. I mean, I agree, this film is disposable. Um, on a Friday night, when you don't want anything, you know, where you have to think or even that good, um, you can put it on, you can enjoy it. You know, it's it's a late night, after the pub, have a few drinks, go watch a film. I mean, it, it's okay, but I don't think there's anything cinematic about it. I don't think there's any intention to get anything cinematic. It's just pure streamer. I'm not going to lie. I did direct. partly put this in for you, Stu. Because, yeah. you know, but there's, so maybe check it out. I mean, it would have been direct-to-video back in the day. So. I mean, it's a superhero film, but in the same sense that Unbreakable's a superhero film. So there's no costumes, there's no real big spectacle. Yeah. It's more just sort of gritty violence but bloodless carnage which is not then that interesting to watch i'm getting i'm getting serious hancock vibes from this because that's uh, the same level of superhero it's, film it's better than hancock oh, okay that's good <laughs> but you're right matt the action scenes are incredibly poorly choreographed and incredibly dull and confusing and it's dark and i never really got who was meant to be nemesis you know because because obviously this is whole thing that samaritan was killed by nemesis and then is pilosh aspect back coming as nemesis is he not it just it was very logical but I will say I did like the fact that Sylvester Stallone's face is slightly more mobile and I liked that. <laughs> so there you go. Selling point. Exactly. <laughs> Selling point number one. Um, so Samaritan is a certificate 12A and is streaming on Amazon Prime. And now I think we're going to be checking in. Yours is going to take over this one. But first of all, let's check in on the trailer for Idris's second appearance this week. 
Hey, look out the window. Welcome to Mapani, guys. I can see clearly now the rain is gone. Thank you so much for having us. This is my chance to reconnect with the girls. I can see all of Did mom shoot some of these? This little bump right here? That's you. I still miss her every day. That. There's something crossing up ahead. Keep the girls in the car. Stay in the car, okay? Just stay in the car. What happened? Diaboro. Okay, what's he saying? Um, right, so I'm sure this is the one you've all been waiting for. It is Elva versus Lion in Beast. Directed by Balthazar Cormica, um, Beast is an American survival thriller film about a recently widowed father, who was played by Idris Elba, and his two teenage daughters who are being hunted by a massive rogue lion in South Africa. Their trip, intended to be remedial, becomes a brutal fight for survival as this lion, escaping the jaws of poachers, sees all humans as the enemy. Matt, I'm going to come to you first on this. Um, Balthazar Cormacot, he's actually known for survival films. He's done Everest, he's done The Deep. How does this one compare? I have to say I'm not a big fan of this director. I remember going to see Everest and the tagline was the unbelievable true story. And then it turns out the story is people go up Everest and freeze to death. And I was like, that's pretty believable to me. So I actually was pleasantly surprised by Beast. I would say it's not one of the best person versus nature movies. I preferred The Grey, Liam Neeson versus Wolves. I preferred The Shallows, Blake Lively versus Sharks. This was pretty good, actually. There's a lot of one-shots that do a good job of kind of putting you in the location. You get a real sense of this being a real place and not just a movie set. Idris Elba's good, but for me, his star power is waning a little bit after he keeps trying to sell me a skybox. I'd, pref <laughs> I'd prefer it if A-list actors only tried to sell me luxury products. Um, yeah, it's a good movie. I think if you go and see this, you will be entertained. You will be quite scared. There's some good sort of reaction shots. They do a good job of not showing the lion for a good portion of it and just sort of showing people reacting to the lion, which I think is more effective because at the end of the day, it's just a big CGI lion. So uh, not necessarily the scariest thing in the world. Kind of mellow from you, Matt. Simon, a lot of this film is marketed on Idris Elba. Um, Matt said that he's okay, mentioned the skyboxes, you know, but it it is Idris Elba. How does he do? Is he enough for this film? He's not the highlight of this film. I can say that now. Charlotte Copley, we have not seen him for a long time. Mm -hmm. He is back as Uncle Martin. He is fantastic and really grounds the film. I agree with Matt. I'd also been saying just beforehand, I'm getting a little bit fed up with seeing Idris Elba everywhere. Um, He's a good actor. He is, but I see him everywhere. So but, <laughs> but I think he's been 
slumming it too long. Hobbs and Shaw, other films. He, he can be a good actor. And to be honest, I wasn't looking forward to him in 3,000 Years of Longing. And I thought he was wonderful in that. He has got that voice. He is great. He can act. But too often, he comes into these action films and he doesn't act. He just mm. bees. And that can be a problem. However, moving on to this film, I love a good creature feature. Mm-hmm. Um and on this, this is what you got, and it was great. Um, I th- I thought it was tense. I really enjoyed, you know, the lines, the setup, middle of nowhere, stranded in the car on the edge of a cliff top, seemed natural. It didn't seem too incredibly forced, um, like climbing Patel or something. Um, only complaints really is that. People do stupid things all the time, and half these films are saying, don't do stupid things. And the amount of time his daughter's left the van after he says, do not leave the van, and they leave and they get in trouble. It was a little bit over the top. But but all in all, as long as you're not looking for anything too serious and anything, if you want for a creature feature, which is people get stalked by a lion while trapped in a car on a cliff top, this delivers. It, it, you know, it was fine. It's popcorn. Popcorn. And, and just one thing I noticed when I was, was looking at my notes for this film is that um, Comico brought on cinematographer Philippe Husselot, mm. who did Interview for the Vampire, Dangerous Liaisons, a really kind of sumptuous cinematographer. Do any of you have a comment about what he brings to, to this film? Well, I did mention briefly the the long takes, the one shots. Uh, anytime we sort of... I was getting a sort of video game vibes because you sort of go to the next location and that's sort of the next level of being stalked by a lion. But the long takes really do, do a good job of grounding you in that location and making you sort of feel, yes, we're all here. There's something. We don't know where it is. But maybe it's there. Maybe it's over here. We don't know. But yeah, the cinematography is definitely a high point. Awesome. Thank you very much. Beast is currently showing at the Light and View Cinemas in Cambridge. It is a Certificate 15. And now we're going to move on to The Forgiven. It's 400 miles to Asna. Long way to go for a party. Face it, David, we're lost. That's the time. No, it's not. This is the time. No, David. Don't be so bloody stupid. It was an accident. He stepped out in front of us. We don't want the police showing up. Ray Fiennes and Jessica Chastain in the trailer for The Forgiven. Following on from Calvary and War on Everyone, Michael John McDonough's film follows the story of David and Joe Henninger. Henninger, an unhappily married couple, as I just said, played by Oscar winners, Ray Fiennes and Jessica Chastain. While David drunk drives them 400 miles to a party at the foot of the Atlas Mountains hosted by their fabulous friends Richard and Darley, played by Matt Smith and Caleb Landry-Jones, they are involved in a fatal accident with a local fossil hunter. What unravels following this over the weekend involves everything from cultural stereotyping to sex to drugs to Islamo and homophobia and also some kind of redemption. Yossi, 
this is a certificate 18 film for i believe well it's, it's for drug use and also like we said there are there are racial and um and, and homophobic slurs in there and it's made with incredibly unsympathetic characters and with you would say probably a deliberately offensive script did this work for you or, or did you feel a bit like i did that you were being hit over a little bit hit over the head by a hammer making a point I absolutely agree with you. I think if you're going to make a film like this and you're going to have the kind of writing that you have behind it where if they, a lot of the characters in this film are horrible, horrible people, that's not a problem in itself. But what I found when I was watching it was that there was no commentary on the fact that they were horrible people. They were just being horrible for the sake of being horrible. And it was... It was quite frustrating for me, especially when you're looking at cultural exploration, right? So you have the um, the Westerners in Morocco, and they're quite debaucherous, and that was quite, you know, one-dimensional to me. They're just debaucherous, they're just nasty, they're doing drugs, they're doing all of this, there was nothing behind it. And then the real, the, the, for me, the real heart of the film is when um, Ray finds he goes off um, because he, he has killed the son of... of who I thought was wonderfully played, by the way, his father, and has to go to the burial. And that's where you get the real heart of the film. It was just cheapened by this very simplistic portrayal of the other characters. And it, it, it let me down so much. Like, I said to you that I found I was quite angry watching this because it could have been a great film. Well, yeah, indeed. Um, Simon, I'll come to you. It's hard to watch. A, a, I mean, this is a triple threat movie. Obviously, it's written, produced and directed by John Michael McDonough. But it's hard. In some ways, it makes me think of the Scott brothers. It is hard because obviously his brother, Martin McDonough, is also an extremely, you know, probably the more successful of the two of them as a filmmaker. And he really has been going from strength to strength. You know, three billboards uh, over Ebbing, Missouri was, you know, generally plauded as a masterpiece and, and, and fated with Oscars. How do you feel, uh, post uh, after Cavalry and War on Everyone, how do you feel John Michael's trajectory is going, Simon? Is that a question I should ask? Um, <laughs> I, I don't know enough. I don't think I've seen The War on Everyone. I can't actually remember that one. Which, show, which shows how memorable it is. Um, however, he had such a great start with The Guard and Cavalry. Um, and I think part of that could be his upbringing and his knowledge of, you know, being brought up in Ireland getting the situation, the Roman Catholicism. And perhaps so, Brendan Gleeson's awesome performances. And Brendan Gleeson's awesome performances, which always help, but it managed, meant he managed to actually skew with his dark satire, um, these institutions that he knows and has a lot of experience with. I don't think he has any experience in um, the cultural differences um, in Morocco at the time and the colonialism and the the right privilege that constantly goes on with the rich party goers um that he tries to do with this film um you you get to a point where you know some of the jokes and the things are so horrific in today you know in today's climates as they should be um that it's almost like you know ricky Gervais or something like that where you're thinking are you making him to be edgy or do you actually believe these things are still funny and still relevant and all of that? And while watching this, I felt there was nothing undercutting it. I think this may actually be what you do enjoy, which isn't a great thing. Um, I mean, I'm, like I said, I may be doing him a disservice. I don't know the guy, but that's the impression I got watching the film. It wasn't an enjoyable watch. Anything it tried to say... Like I said, the the scenes with Ray Fiennes were, you know, 
really good and fantastic and is slow at coming, but that was a small part relatively to everything else in the film and it just didn't work. Yossi, um Simon's touched on this and I totally agree with it, really. It is almost two films in one. And for me, Ray Fiennes really carried his role as this sort of, you know, miserable upper class doesn't you know alcoholic highly functioning alcoholic as, as as his wife describes at the beginning and he's like well i think you know that 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 is a the, the highly functioning wipes out the alcoholic part but you know this awful thing happens and because ray finds is an exceptionally fine actor and i haven't seen him do, and i couldn't i kind of went in loving it a little bit already because it reminded me of the i couldn't help but think of the english patient because here we are back in north africa with ray finds and um so he carried that bit for me but yeah Simon's right. The the party, the other is flashing back to this party where everyone just seems to not even have been written as characters. They just seem to be ciphers. You know, they are just, they're stereotypes. Here's the sort of intellectual French woman who's just there to slag off Americans. Here's your bisexual trade fund, um, trade fund manager who's just there to kind of remind Jessica Chastain that she is still attractive. Or if that was, Jessica Chastain, in my opinion, was terribly miscast. But did anybody out of this, you know, it, it, it's a starry supporting cast. Matt Smith, I mean, talking of people who seem to be everywhere at the moment, Matt Smith is in there. You know, Matt Smith and 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 Caleb Landry Jones, who I really like and who started off promisingly with this excellent tick, but then just again became a completely underwritten character. Did any of them stand out for you? Or- Matt Smith, I would say I did actually enjoy for a change watching Matt Smith in this again. I think last time I saw him was Morbius, so that's not a great <laughs> great high point. Um, Again, as the film went on, they didn't investigate his character. He seemed to be, despite the debauchery going on, he seemed to one who actually realised what's happening, did have a bit of a... Um, I'm trying to think of the right word. Um, a moral compass? A moral compass. He was aware of what was going on and the problems that could be issuing. And then nothing really developed from that. So. I think it's trying to explore issues between different cultures i think it's trying to explore class i think it's trying to explore privilege i think it's trying to explore race at some to some aspect and it just doesn't do that enough i think actually a lot of the the commentary what's spoken between people is for me it was quite offensive to listen to and i'm not saying that i can't listen to offensive language in films because you get that a lot but what i it just seemed superfluous in this I think it wasn't even so much it was for me it wasn't even that it was so much offensive it just felt like really unrealistic conversations none of these characters seem real this party well, didn't seem real I, I thought they were from they were a murder together. mystery at one point I thought they yeah. were caricatures of murder mystery it, characters it felt a little bit like everyone's kind of you know jumped on the back end of a Knives Out style film yes. or whatever so mm. let's just throw all the it, 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 it was bizarre and we talked about this before we came on air and obviously this is a film show not a TV show but I really feel that White Lotus did this subtly and better did this whole idea of like the horror you know, the horrific nature of, of, of you know our wealthy and how our gap between the haves and the have nots is just getting bigger all the time but this did it in a very very unsubtle way and it really then detracted from like you said Yossi what is a very touching and moving storyline which takes Ray Fiennes into the desert with the family of, of, of the fossil hunter. He's the best thing in it. Ray Fiennes and that whole storyline is the best thing in this film. Um, I just thought it was really, really well done. And I, I'm trying to look at the, the actor's name who played the father. I, I, I can't find it, but those were the, the moments that I was there for this film. Like that That's what I wanted. And um, I just think if you measure that against a lot of the kind of superfluous 
debaucherous scenes just for the sake of it, it took away from what could have been really, really strong. So... Well, yeah, I've got one. I've got one last thing that I think when you because this is a choice that John Michael McDonough makes, and he puts up all the titles at the beginning of the film, um, so that when the film ends, it just literally ends with a, the end card in Arabic, and then at the end. That is a ballsy move to make, I think, to presume that you're going to make a film with such a shocking ending. I was not at all shocked by the end. Did you? And I. And so I think if you're going to make something where you think it's going to end on such a shocking note that it just justifies the end with no titles at all, and I didn't think it did, what did other people think? I think it just confused everybody in the cinema. Um, <laughs> the end was predictable, so it wasn't a shock, and I wondered whether they were going to do that when it had the credits, which I thought was a nice touch. But yeah, I think it just confused people. But I think it was just closing off that redemptive arc for for Ray Fiennes, and that 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 was what that ending was for. And yeah. it it, it kind of worked for me, but it's just a shame that the rest of the film didn't work. And I, yeah, and I think it's just a shame for the cast as well. I, I would shout out, I'd like Christopher Abbott very much, and he's wasted. Abby Lee was also wasted. So it it it's a certificate anyway. If if that really you know. I think it's a difficult film to review as well, but there are some beautiful shots in it. Certainly Morocco looks absolutely gorgeous. The cinematography is really good, so there you go. I'll give you that. It is a certificate 18, as said, and it is showing at all three Cambridge cinemas. Right, we've got very little time left, and we don't even need to show a trailer for this one, but we would love to squeeze in official competition. Yes, indeed. Emma and I have both seen this one. Simon, I think you've seen it too. So, Gaston Duprat and Mariano Con's official competition is a satire on something that us in the studio love very, very much, the art of film. It stars Penelope Cruz as director Lola Sueves, an egomaniac auteur who casts two wildly different actors, Antonio Banderas and Oscar Martinez, to be in her next film, funded by a pharmaceutical millionaire. What we, what then ensues is basically um, Lola pitting them against each other with these very eccentric tactics in rehearsals and as numerous egos battle each other it's just it gets absurd but it's a whole lot of fun. Um, Emma, I'm going to come to you because I know as I am, that you're a fan of this film. Let's just talk about the fact that it is it is a bit of a satirical slap to the art of cinema. How did you find that as a oh, film fan? As a film, I greatly, I like the fact that they're making him a pharmaceutical, making him this multimillionaire means that multimillionaire means they get this crazy kind of art, modern art gallery to be able to rehearse it, which obviously instantly makes it more visually interesting. There is, and it is utterly ridiculous and all it was just a joy i think to see penelope cruz who really is at the top of her game i think at the moment and um antonia banderas just you know and oscar martinez just ripping up the screen it was it's ridiculous there's a scene where they're where they're having this conversation underneath a five-ton rock on a crane at one point they have some of the best there's some of the best swearing i've ever seen I know I'm not even really I don't even speak Spanish but there's an awesome scene where they're just told to um there's a lot of offensive offensive terms in it it just it rips it up and it made me think of dogma films even at one point when they do the scene for the end it almost made me think of the Nicole Kidman oh you know with the way where they just had the cutouts on the on on the floors or whatever yeah so it's 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 really it's a lot of fun Simon very very quickly I just want to know what you thought of this film and particularly these these big names that you have in the cast um, I really enjoyed it. I thought the idea and the conceit of the film was a little, well, a little bit conceited and a bit basic, but occasionally in the scenes you've got Antonio Madeiras just being wonderful, Oscar Martinez, as we said, Penelope Cruz, they're just all so good to watch. If it wasn't for them, 
I don't think the film would have worked, but um, they're just fantastic. You know, it's like, yeah, okay, this is really quite in- enjoyable. It's funny, it's, it's good, interesting sets. Yeah. I just think it's a bit of an underrated gem. I wasn't really aware of it, so I think it's worth seeking out, particularly on National Cinema Day. Yes, it is worth seeking out, and I'm very sorry that we couldn't give a lot of time to it. It's just been, it's just been a packed show. What can I say? Um, official competition is showing at the Light Cinema. It is also available on Curzon Online if you can't go to the cinema, and it is a certificate 15. Right, that's it. That's all we have time for today. Thank you very, very much, Stuart. Simon, Matt, and to the incomparable Emma as my co-host. We will be back on Saturday the 17th of September to talk some newer releases, perhaps, but not definitely, including Disney's newest Pinocchio adaptation, Murder Mystery, See How They Run, and historical epic, The Woman King. We will see. Goodbye. Goodbye. can see clearly now the rain is gone I can see all obstacles in my way Gone are the dark clouds that had me blind It's gonna be bright